I am Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleeks. And we host Book, Book of Lies, the, the podcast. podcast. So we talk about crooks and criminals, liars and fraudsters, um, fakers, phonies, and people that scam. And those that steal your grandma's money. Yeah, yeah. Save her from her getting her, her money stolen. Anyway, mm. so um, we release a new episode every Tuesday. Look for us on Tuesday. On Tuesday, wherever you guys get your podcasts. So iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And any other podcast hosting service that you might use. So check us out. Book of Lies Podcast. Again, I am Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Flakes. We host Book of Lies, the the podcast. podcast. Happy July, everybody. Welcome. It is July. Welcome to Crime Culture. I'm Haley. I am Caitlin. And we're hot. Physically? I mean, maybe. But in temperature, in body temperature, definitely. Because it is 90 degrees in both coasts. Baby, no, you're alone because I've got AC and you don't. That's because my AC is really fucking loud because I live in an old ass building. So yeah, I can't have I it on. That. You can probably hear the fan. Elliot says you can't when he's uh, editing the episodes, but uh, I can hear it while I'm recording. So maybe You're he does some, some weird magic. But yeah, probably. It's fucking hot here. So um, we have quick announcement and then we're going to just jump straight into the episode so I can turn the AC back on. All right? Go. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, so yeah, so this kicks off our next Patreon, um, month, our third, our third month of having patrons. And so therefore we're going to do quick little shout outs and that's first to Josh, who has been our patron for a little while now. And then also to our new patron, Camilla, um, yes, equality. We love it. We have male, we have female. We're loving it. And so, yes, thank you both. And based on your tears, your goodies are coming. Yes. And love you, mean it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you if you join the Patreon, um, you get to, at a certain level, I think it's a $10 level, you get to uh, be involved in a poll to pick an episode that comes out this month. Yes, so, and that will be coming out next week. Yes. So whatever episode we got the most votes for, get ready because that one that one just had josh voting so it was pretty much josh got to pick what episode he wanted perfect <laughs> uh but next so, month yeah. we'll we'll have to do the uh coin flip if we we will yeah all right all right but we are ready for this week's episode and this is it it's terrible when you first are hearing about it and then it becomes heartwarming and then it becomes sad so all right. Just giving you a, a, a general oh. feel of my emotions as I was researching this case. It just it gets crazier okay. and crazier. And I know we always say that, like, oh, my God, this case is so crazy. This one is wild. This is, like, abducted in plain sight type of oh. wild. Yeah, okay, it's, I'm it's ready. nuts. Oh, I'm okay. ready. Oh, so girl, this is, she ready? If you read the, uh, the title, it's The Kidnapping of Steven Stainer. And... Um, I didn't yeah. read the title. 
it's because we don't have the title up yet. I'm just, oh, I was going to say I'm just too cool to read titles. But yes, Fine. I didn't read the title because also we don't have a title at yeah. this time. But so, yes, go on. A little background on Steven Stainer. He was the third of five children to Kay and Delbert Stainer. I love the name Delbert. Amazing. Fantastic name. It's like that cartoon Dilbert. Yes, but not quite. Delbert. Not almost, but not quite. <laughs> So he had three sisters and an older brother named Carrie, who we will get to in a little bit. Uh, And his family lived in Merced, California. And all right. So here we're getting into the case. So on the afternoon of December 4th, 1972, when he was coming home from school, Stainer was approached by a man passing out gospel tracks. The man Stainer. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm okay. It's it, fine. I'm going to be saying it a lot more so you'll get some more giggles out of it. I just, I just, it's not even that I'm getting giggles out of it. It's that like, just how do these names come about? How do people come up with these names? I'm not, I'm not even making fun of him. I just, I'm really curious where these names come from. There's going to be some more weird names coming up. So Ugh, I love a get ready. weird name. So um, the man said he was a church representative and asked Stainer if his mother had anything that she would like to donate to the church. Stainer said that she did, and he agreed to go with the man to his house to pick up the donations. Mm-hmm. Another man. Yeah, I know. Never, ever do this. Uh, Never, I think ever, I want to say. Yeah, he's young at this point. We'll get to it. Um, so another man pulled up in a white Buick and drove Stainer uh, and the first man away. The man driving the car was a convicted child rapist named Kenneth Parnell. And yeah, so he befriended the first man, uh, Irvin Edward Murphy, uh, when they were both working at the same resort in Yosemite National Park. And Parnell targeted Murphy to help him with his scheme because he was very trusting, very naive, and described as a simple-minded man. Uh, He told Murphy that he was an aspiring minister and needed to abduct Stainer so that he could, quote, relate raise him in a religious type deal so he yeah so he he targeted a man that he could manipulate to help manipulate somebody else so he didn't have to do the dirty work himself he could have somebody else kidnap this kid for him fucked up yeah yeah that's so ideal so parnell drove stainer to his cabin in kathy's valley where he molested the boy 13 days later, on December 17th, 1972, that's when uh, he started years of raping him. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, God. Oh, God. So after telling Parnell that he wanted to go home many times that first week, Parnell told Stainer that he had been granted legal custody over him and that his parents couldn't afford so many children and that they didn't want him. And he's seven at this point. Oh, my God. He's seven years old. So one heartbreaking detail is that the cabin where Stainer was being held was only several hundred feet from his maternal grandfather's house, but he never knew it. So this is the first of many just terrible small details of this case. Yeah, that's, um, that's really rough. Yeah. He's so close to somebody that can help him, but he had no clue. So close to family, but never found out. So, where was I? So, Parnell began began calling Stainer Dennis Gregory Parnell, keeping his actual middle name and his actual birth date. And he posed as Stainer's father as he enrolled him in various schools over the years as they moved all around California. 
And once he gained his trust, Parnell let Stainer start drinking at an early age and let him come and go as he pleased. Parnell often bounced from job to job. Some of these opportunities would take him away from Stainer for extended periods of time. And later on, um, Stainer said that he could have easily taken one of these opportunities to run away, but he didn't know how to go and get help, which right. you can't blame him at, the, like, at any no. point in this. He was abducted at seven years old. He was told by an adult that his parents did not want him anymore and that this guy was oh. now his legal parent. How and awful. This guy is his only source of anything. So obviously, like, he's feeding him, he's clothing him, he's bringing him to school. Like, when you're a child, you trust an adult, even if yeah. they're doing terrible, terrible things to you. No, it's... Uh, yeah, it's just it's terrible. Awful. Just, yeah. Um... One of the few happy aspects of Stainer's abduction was a little Manchester Terrier named Queenie that Parnell had given him. Oh, and yeah. Queenie! <laughs> the dog was actually given to Parnell by his mother, who had no idea of Stainer's existence. Oh. Yeah. So oh not God. even like this guy's family knew what he was doing or what had happened. These people are, like, fucked up and creepy like that, though. Like, how many times have you heard about people are keeping, like, someone in their shed or something and, like, the neighbors don't know, the family doesn't know? Yeah, like, that's like uh, J.C. Dugard for 18 yes, years. Yes, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> but also, um, like, there, there's a couple famous um, abduction and, like, uh, cases and stuff that we're going to talk about that is, like, the same thing. Like, years yeah. and years and family comes to the house and they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know in this situation Shit's if, fucked. if um, Parnell's mom actually ever came to the house or saw him or whatever, but um, yeah, she had no idea that he even existed. I mean, That's he must've been on the news. Obviously he was on the news as a missing child and his parents yeah. were looking for him because obviously they loved him and yeah, yeah. obviously they didn't like not want him like this no, fucker they said. they didn't give him up. He was abducted. He was taken. Like, uh, like oh, just but imagine like being a child and oh jesus i hate that yeah so here's another uh terrible detail for a year and a half a woman named barbara mathis lived with parnell and stainer and stainer claims that her and parnell raped him multiple times at the age of nine and Ew. in 1975 parnell convinced mathis to abduct a boy um who was in the santa rosa boys club with stainer and she tried unsuccessfully to lure the boy to the car. And Mathis later claimed that she had no clue that Dennis was abducted. I'm sorry, you just heard a... What? You just heard a ping from my phone. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was important. I, I get it. I forgot to put it on silent. We're not cutting that out. I'm, I'm leaving it. It's organic. Oh, cool. Cool. So we're a organic, yeah. non-GMO certified USDA mm -hmm. podcast now. Cute. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, this woman that was living with Stainer and Parnell, she didn't know that Stainer um, was abducted. Dennis was his fake name. Um, so once Stainer entered puberty, Parnell began to look for a younger child to kidnap. He forced Stainer to try to kidnap a child for him, but all attempts were unsuccessful. Stainer later, later revealed that he intentionally sabotaged the kidnapping attempts because he didn't want anyone to go through what he was going through. On February 14th, 1980, Parnell and a teenage friend of Stainer's named Randall Sean Poorman uh, kidnapped a five-year-old boy uh, named Timothy White in Ukiah, California. 
White was playing outside his house when Portman approached him and tried to usher him to Parnell's getaway car. And when White refused and attempted to run inside, Portman shoved him against a chain link fence, pried his hands off the gate, and dragged him kicking and screaming to the car. Oh my God. Yeah. He was abducted in front of his house. Jesus. In daylight. Kicking and screaming. And was That's still so abducted. Fucked. That is um, so fucked. <coughs> So Parnell quickly started to brainwash White as he had done with Stainer, telling the young boy that his new name was Tommy and dyed his uh, blonde hair dark brown. Seeing how distressed White was and probably remembering the trauma from his own kidnapping, Stainer decided that he would get, t- he would get White back to his parents. And on March 1st, 1980, Stainer took White and the two hitchhiked to Ukiah while Parnell was at his night security job. Stainer didn't have White's address, so he instructed that the boy walk into the police station and ask for help without him. Luckily, the police officers spotted the boys and detained them both. Saner immediately identified White and then told the police his own story. And Parnell was arrested the next morning. And the police checked his background and found uh, a sodomy conviction from 1951. He was tried and convicted of kidnapping both the boys in separate trials. And he was sentenced to seven years, but was paroled after five. He... was never convicted of the numerous sexual assaults against Stainer and the other boys because they were outside the jurisdiction of uh, Merced County um, and they were outside of the uh, the statute of limitations. So... That's... Yeah. So for years... That's not right. Yeah, he endured assaults for for years and his, uh, his assailant never got convicted of it. Which is totally messed up. This that's, is also yeah, um, that's a that's <laughs> fucking awful. This is also like the seventies, eighties, and um, we'll get to it. But male sexual abuse was kind of looked at as something that you wanted to sweep under the rug real quick and not talk about, which is super fucked up. Yeah, that's which oh we know God. now. Obviously, yeah. like everyone deserves to be uh, feel like feel safe and. Yeah, uh, everyone is convicted of any type of assault against any person, any age, any gender, any anything. Yeah. But yeah, that statute of limitations is super fucked up. Yeah, that's I, yeah. A lot needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, Just, a lot has been done since this time, but but still, still, we're a long way from getting full justice for people. Yeah. So the prosecutors, um, acting almost entirely alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell for the sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction, likely due to the belief that they were, uh, quote-unquote, protecting Stainer, because, like I said, rape and molestation victims were seen as, this is a quote, damaged goods. Super oh. fucked up. Yeah. That's nice. That's a great thing yeah. to say. Uh, another article I read said they may also have felt that they were respecting Stainer's parents' um, reluctance to discuss Parnell's crimes because of the stigma of male sexual abuse. So not even his family wanted to talk about what happened to him oh because God. of the stigma against it. So now this, he's still a child at this point. Yeah. He has this all bottled up. He can't even talk about it because of the stigma against it. Oh my God. Super fucked up. So, 
Murphy and Poorman, who had helped abduct White, were convicted of lesser charges. Both claimed that they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stainer, and uh, the woman, Mathis, was never arrested. Stainer remembered the kindness of, quote, Uncle Murphy, and uh, that he had shown him his first week of ca uh, captivity while they were both under the influence of Parnell's manipulation, and he believed that Murphy was as much Parnell's victim as he and White were. And Stainer's kidnapping and its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. So that's one good thing that came out of it. Yeah. So after returning home to his family, Stainer had a little bit of trouble adjusting. Um, when he was with Understandably. Parnell. Understandably. Yeah, obviously. Um, when he was with Parnell, he was allowed to smoke and drink and pretty much do whatever he wanted. In an interview with Newsweek shortly after his escape, Stainer, Stainer said, quote, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old. After, uh, after they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Everything has changed. Sometimes Aww. I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. What would, have, would I have been better off if I didn't? End quote. Oh my god. Yeah. This is heartbreaking. He is That is he's so a, sad. He's a literal hero. He saved Timothy White, a boy yeah. that could have been like held in captivity for years and years like he had, but he had only been there I want to say it was like 2 weeks and mm -hmm. he finally had the emotional fortitude to be like, "Okay, I'm going to run away from this situation to help this other child." He didn't run away for himself. He ran away no. for this other child. Yeah. Yeah. And his parents oh. are treating him like a what pariah. Now? <laughs> yeah. So Stainer briefly went uh, underwent counseling, but he never sought out additional treatment, which I'm thinking is because of the um, stigma against it. And he refused mm -hmm, to di probably. disclose all of the details of the sexual abuse that he endured uh, in the years he spent with Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stainer's sister Corey said that her brother did not seek counseling because their father said Stainer, quote, didn't need any. So, yeah. So his dad that was so fearful of somebody talking about his son being sexually assaulted that he didn't, he didn't even want him to, to talk to a therapist. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she added, quote, Stephen got on with his life but was pretty messed up end quote he was this is terrible he was teased by other children at school for being molested and he eventually dropped out that's something to be bullied for in high school i'm yeah. sorry i know we're harping on this like, but this no, is insane yeah i don't think it's harping like this is genuinely like it, it's inhumane yeah how could you be bullied for being sexually assaulted right this isn't your fault you were a child he was seven yeah yeah it's it's really messed it's, up yeah it's awful so after he dropped out he began to drink frequently and eventually was kicked out of his family's home and his relationship with his father remained strained for his whole life that's um, oh god that's, yeah that, like i i know that his dad should have acted better treated better like all of that but like it's so tragic that it had to come to that yeah like if he just hadn't been taken it would have been so normal yeah i mean you could hope for anyone like any abduction victim like 
their life could have been so much better and so much different if they weren't taken. But like, this was like a, a like a great homecoming story. Like he saved a kid. He came back. Like he was safe. Yeah. <clears throat> and and then all of this like starts to go downhill, which is. I found very interesting when I was researching the case because lots of times you end on the the high happy note of mm-hmm. he was found, he's back, everything's great now, and you don't really hear about what happens uh, afterwards, which right. with abduction victims, obviously, like he was he was uh, kidnapped like at seven and held for years without his parents, without his family, without any seemingly any rules so he now has to reintegrate into society and Mm -hmm. that's not going to be an easy transition for anyone let alone having to be bullied for something that you had no control over it's just i don't know i think in a different time things could have been so much more different for him too yeah absolutely yeah just more compassion i just yeah uh a little happy note in 1985, Stainer married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson, and they had two children together. He oh, also worked okay. with... Yeah, he actually became an advocate, too. He worked with child abduction groups and spoke to children about personal safety and gave interviews about his kidnapping. So maybe this is a little bit of the therapy that he needs. Like, every time yeah. you talk about it, it chips a little bit of it away. Right, absolutely. I can, yeah. I can totally get behind that. Yep. And he even joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, just before his death. At the okay. time of his death, Stainer, Stainer was living in Merced County working at a pizza shop. Okay. On September 16, 1989, Stainer sustained fatal head injuries while on his way home from work um, when his motorcycle collided with a car. 500 people attended his funeral, including 14-year-old Timmy White, who was a pallbearer. Oh. So the boy that he had saved oh, was there for him in the end, fuck. which is very, very sweet. Yeah. Oh. Um, in 2004, Parnell, at the age of 72, was convicted of trying the previous year to persuade his nurse to kidnap a young boy for him for $500. Oh, God. Messed up. So the nurse, That's who like- was aware of Parnell's past, reported this to the local police um timmy white who was a grown man at this point was subpoenaed to testify in parnell's criminal trial and although stainer was dead his testimony at parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence in parnell's 2004 trial excellent yes perfect perfect idea just get as much information about this scumbag as you can yes so parnell died of natural causes on january 21st 2008 in the California medical facility in Vacaville, California. And I, I thought you were asking. I was like, I don't know. I, where I think that it's is. Vacaville. This is the one I didn't look up. I, th- I thought I knew how to say it. <laughs> um, so at this point, he was serving um, his sentence, which was 25 to life. Um, White later became a Los Angeles County Police Department deputy. He died on April 1st, 2010, at the age of 35 from a pulmonary embolism. He left behind his wife, Dina, and two young children, as well as his mother, father, stepfather, and sister. Stephen's father, meanwhile, Delbert Stainer, died on April 9th, 2013, at his home in Winton, California. 
he was 79 years old. Now, like I had mentioned at the beginning, Stephen Stainer had a brother named Carrie Stainer. So yes. Carrie was 11 years old when Stephen was kidnapped and later said that he felt neglected while his parents grieved over the loss of his brother, which is... Understandable. Very valid. Yeah. Uh, valid on both points. The parents, right. obviously, a child was ripped from you, like that's going to leave a giant hole in your heart. But also Absolutely. you have, you have three other children. Yeah. You can't, you can't make you those can't children feel less. Well, it's not even like you can't make them feel like you can't, cause I'm sure they weren't even intentionally like trying to make them feel less, but you, no, obviously you need not. to be able to like function. You can't let that consume you because it's not just your life. It's other people's lives that you are responsible for as a parent. Yeah. Like, I think of it as, okay, so he was 11 years old when his seven-year-old brother was taken. So right. he lost, as as much as his parents lost a son, he lost a brother. And now he lost yes. his parents also. Yes, absolutely. Because his parents are neglecting his feelings. And yes. how does he feel about this situation? Like, why, you can grieve together as a family, is what I'm saying. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. Like, I mean, because... The isolation that grief can cause, I mean, nobody can better be there for you yeah, exactly. with something like that than, than your someone family. that's going through the Lean same on exact each other. thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's why grief counseling, support groups, why that's a thing. Yeah. And he's 11 at this point. He's not, it's not like he's five he doesn't and doesn't it. understand what's going on. He gets it. He, he oh, knows. No, see, I was going to say he doesn't get it in the sense of like, like yeah, he understands what he's no, feeling. He, he understands, understands what his brother. Yeah, he understands what happened with his brother, but at the same time, he doesn't really understand like why his parents are like he thinks that they're all about his brother when in actuality, like he doesn't understand what that parent feels as like losing your child in such a fucked up way. It's not like yes. it was like there's there's so it seems so permanent yet there's also this like torture of could my kid come back could we find yeah. them like yeah I, nothing else it, there's nothing else like it yeah but i'm just saying that like he's he's not like a five-year-old that's just like right. doesn't know anything like he's yeah he's 11 he understands the concept of what kidnapping is yes and they don't like, have to like break it down for him yeah. like you would for a child and there's no there, he's not gonna it's not like he's gonna ask questions like oh like when is he coming back or yeah, anything exactly. like that but he does have younger uh sisters so mm -hmm. there's that so now he has to be the strong one for his other siblings which is fucked up anyway. and basically the parent yeah so when steven escaped from parnell and returned home in 1980 he received massive media attention, um, a true crime book and TV movie, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so the year after Stephen's death, the boy's uncle, Jesse, um, with whom they were living <laughs> at the time. House? Yes. Uncle Jesse. Uncle uh, Jesse. John Stamos as Uncle yeah. Jesse. The year after Stephen's death, this Uncle Jesse was murdered. Oh. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So Carrie later claimed that his uncle had molested him at the same period as when Stephen was kidnapped. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So Carrie is reported to have attempted suicide in 1991 and was arrested in 1997 for possession of marijuana and methamphetamine, 
although these charges were eventually dropped. Okay. In 1997, Carrie Stainer was hired as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge Motel in El Portal, El Portal, California? El Portal? Oh. I'm going to say El Portal. El Portal. El Portal. Let's put El a little, Portal. Put a nice, nice little spin on it. Um, so this was just outside the Highway 140 entrance to Yosemite National Park. Between okay. February and July 1999, he murdered four women. Oof. 42-year-old. Uh, yeah. This is... You can't even write this. This is crazy. Uh, 42-year-old Carol Sund, her daughter, 15-year-old Julie Sund, Julie's friend, 16-year-old Argentine exchange student, Silviana Peloso, and 26-year-old Yosemite Institute employee, Joey Ruth Armstrong. The first two victims, Carol Sund and Peloso, were found in the trunk of the charred remains of Carol's Pontiac rental car. Oh, my God. Yeah. The bodies were burned beyond recognition and were identified using dental records. A note was sent to the police with a hand-drawn map indicating the location of the third victim, Julie Sund. The top of the note read, we had fun with this one. Which, that's ow. Yeah. Investigators went to the location depicted on the map, and they found the remains of Julie, whose throat had been cut. Oh. oh. Yeah. Uh, detectives began interviewing employees of the Cedar Lodge Motel, where the first three victims uh, had been staying before their deaths. One of those employees was Carrie Stainer, but he was not considered a suspect at that point because he had no criminal history and remained calm during the police interview. When the decapitated body of Joey Ruth Armstrong was found, eyewitnesses said they saw a blue 1979 International Scout parked outside the cabin where she was staying, and detectives traced this vehicle back to Stainer, which led to him becoming the prime suspect in the case. FBI okay. agents John Bowles and Jeff Reineck found Stainer staying at Laguna del Sol Nudist Resort in Wilton, weird place to hide um mm-hmm. he was then arrested and taken to sacramento for questioning during his interrogation stainer shocked the agents when he confessed to not only armstrong's decapitation but to the murders of peloso and the sons as well and also for sending out the map to find julie's body his vehicle yielded evidence um proving his link to joey armstrong Stainer claimed after his arrest that he had fantasized about murdering women since he was seven, long before the abduction of his brother. Wow. So to have a family of a famous um, abduction victim and also a killer. Nuts. Yeah, too much. Too too much. That's just crazy. There's something in the water and you should get the fuck away. Yeah. So, in early 1989, a television miniseries was produced based on uh, Stainer's experience called I Know My First Name is Steven, and it was later renamed The Missing Years. Taking a leave of absence from his job, Steven actually acted as the advisor for for the, the company that produced the miniseries, and he actually had a non-speaking part playing one of the two policemen who escorted 14-year-old Steven, played by Corinne Nemec, through the crowds uh, to his waiting family on his return home. 
And although he was pleased with the dramatization, Stainer did complain that it depicted him as somewhat obnoxious and rude, um, especially towards his parents, something he okay. refuted when, when it was publicized in the miniseries in the spring of 1989. So the two-part miniseries was first broadcast on NBC uh, on May 21st and 22nd, 1989, and the screening rights were sold to a number of international television companies, including the BBC, which screened the miniseries in mid-July the following year, and it was later released as a full feature-length movie. Okay. The production was based on a manuscript by Mike Eccles, who had researched the story and interviewed Stainer and Parnell, among others involved in the case. After the premiere of I Know My First Name is Steven, which received four Emmy nominations, including one for Nemec, Eccles published his book, I Know My First Name is Steven, in 1991. In the epilogue of his book, Eccles described how he infiltrated N-A-M-B-L-A. I don't know what that is. Mambla? Nambla? I want to say, like, from context, I guess it sounds like a child sex ring. Because that's what kind of Parnell was a part of. I'll probably yeah, post that I'll, would make sense. I'm gonna research it and post it on the uh, on the website. Okay. So in nineteen ninety-nine, against the wishes of the Stainer family, Eccles wrote an additional chapter about Stephen's older brother Carrie at the request of his publisher, which then republished the book. Because Ooh. that that's perfect uh, selling fder. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said, how crazy is it yeah, that something no, like that hot. would happen to anybody? So this is very, really interesting. The title of the film and the book are taken from the first paragraphs of Stephen's written police statement given during the early hours of March 2nd, 1980 in Ukiah. And it reads, um, my name is Stephen Stainer, which it is spelled wrong. It's spelled S-T-A-I-N-E-R. Uh, I am 14 years of age. I don't, mu- I don't know my true birth date, but I use April 18th, 1965. I know my first name is Steven. I'm pretty sure my last is Stainer. And if I have a middle name, I don't know it. Which is nuts. Yeah, <coughs> yeah that's... Ooh. Yeah. It's a little, that's a little nutty. Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> I, a wee bit nutty. It's very interesting to see the, uh, like the early interviews of um, criminals and victims, really. Mm-hmm. Just to see, like... What is the like the first things they talk about? That I think that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Uh Stephen's story was also included in the book Against Their Will by Nigel Cawthorn, and it's a compilation of stories about kidnappings. And ten years after St- Stainer's death, the city of Merced asked the residents to propose names for city parks honoring Merced's notable citizens. Stainer's parents proposed one be named Stainer Park. This idea was eventually rejected, and the honor was given to another Merced resident because Stainer's brother Carrie uh, confessed to and, like I said, was charged with the four killings in Yosemite in 1999. So the the city officials feared that the name Stainer Park would be associated with Carrie rather than Stephen, which mm-hmm. I can understand. Yeah, That's probably but, a pretty good yeah. call. So nearly five months after White's death on August 28th, 2010, a statue of Stainer and White was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. 
Residents of Ukiah, White's hometown, carved a statue showing a teenage stainer with young White uh, holding hands while escaping their captivity. Fundraisers for the statue have stated that it is meant to honor Stephen Stainer and give families of missing and kidnapped children hope that they are still alive. Which I think is better than naming a park after him. Yeah, I agree. I like the statue idea better. It definitely yeah. shows um, the best part of of his story is that he he saved somebody else and was willing to kind of put himself in harm's way to get this child out of a situation that he had already endured. Mm-hmm. And I like the, the reason behind it and everything. Yeah. So that's my story. It was a little short one, but... No, but I like twists it. Twists and like turns nonetheless. Yeah, no, that was that was wild. At first I was like, okay, so you're, it's your typical like child abduction. Yeah, and then so they find I said him like, and he escapes. It's terrible. And then it's heartwarming because he saved another kid and got back to his family. And then yeah. it's just sad what happens afterward. Yeah, and then it just goes to shit. Yeah, that he's not treated often do. He's not treated as like the hero he deserves to be. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It sucks. It does. But this was this was this was sucky. This was sad. But then his brother's a serial killer. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me every time. Is like, how do you like? This is why you hug your kids. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, don't neglect them when they're little. Don't neglect your kids. Although he Um, did say that he wanted to kill somebody when he was like seven. Which wow. Okay. I mean. You're not supposed to feel that until you get cut off in traffic. So he's got a good like 10 years before he needs to be feeling those feelings. I guess. That's just yikes. 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 Like this is this one's a big yikes. Yeah. So there's going to be more information on the website. Yes, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. That's it. And you can I, find all the links I to our social now. media on there too. The Soch the soch i really need to stop saying that because it's going to become like a habit that i can't break even though i'm saying it ironically yeah like when i when you were like huh yeet yeah it's funny and now it's like ooh, now i say it way too much now i I say it way too much and ya yeet is it's starting to turn into that too where Uh i'm like yeah no it's not good like we got our apartment and i literally walked into michael's office and i was like we we got approved for the apartment ya yeet and he was like oh god what terrible what <laughs> what so yeah no certain things need to be need to stop maybe if i was hugged more as a child i wouldn't be saying these things maybe maybe you be hugged more now go Let's go find, find that cat to hug you felix give me a hug yeah 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 yeet yeah yeet. anyway <laughs> all the social media on the yes, website all of our social media is on there and if you're interested in joining our patreon you can go to patreon.com slash crime culture and you can donate anywhere from like a dollar to like however much you feel you want to donate. Um, there's cool perks throughout. So that's pretty dope. Um, yeah. Some people said they've had trouble finding the link to the Patreon. It's on our link tree. It is. So if you go to our Facebook page, which is easy enough to find, just type in crime culture on, on Facebook. We're there. Um, and in the description box on there is our link tree. It's also on the um, the website, 
and there's different links for it anywhere. If you really can't find it, message us on something. We yeah. answer all of our direct messages on all of our social media. Literally all of them. Yeah, so um, we'll send there's, it straight to you no personally. There's no question too stupid. Yep. I'm I'm the queen of stupid questions, so trust me. There's no question too stupid. Um, oh, also, speaking about that. direct messaging, we just got to all 50 states in the U.S. True. Yes. yes. So we're doing something special to celebrate that. We teased it like i don't know months Um, and months and months ago yeah that we were gonna do that when we reached all 50 states finally did thanks rhode island holla holla and um so part of that special thing is um whatever state you live in currently or at one point like if you went to college there or something and there's a crazy true crime story from that area or something that happened to you personally or something that you're connected to Send us the info and um, it'll be incorporated into our cool project that we're doing. Right. Absolutely. Just DM us, email us, do what you got to do. Get us yeah. that message. If you gotta, Tweet us. If you got a weird state, that's even better. Like New York, yeah. we're probably going to be covered with. California, we're probably going to be covered with. But like North Dakota. What's going on in Alaska? That's what I'd like to know. Or Hawaii seems so peaceful. What is yeah. happening there? What n- nutty things are happening there? yeah let us know we're curious so you can message any of our social medias uh for that or you can email Mm -hmm. us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com that is our email yes indeed all right all righty then we will talk to you next week see you next tuesday see ya next tuesday bye 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 We're not doing the ease? Nope.